Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a really fun episode because today we're going to learn a lot about the cool new tech startups that are going to help us live longer, healthier, and happier. And to tell us all about it is health tech investor David Eigen. He founded P5 Health Ventures to fulfill a 20-year-old vision of consumer-driven personalized healthcare. What's interesting is in 1997, David started Vitasave, which was in fact one of the first online marketplaces for discounted vitamin and food supplements and other related materials. Now, Vitasave was actually a pivot from an original project, which was an online integrative health forum for patients and practitioners. So David's been interested in the health and wellness space for a long, long time. Now, he has a bachelor's from Wharton's at University of Pennsylvania, which is my alma mater, and a trained lawyer as well. Super excited to have you here with us, David, to tell us all about those exciting startups. Thank you for having me. So let's start with your health journey. I really enjoyed our chat earlier where you shared with us, with me, what your own health journey has been and how it's been real important in lighting the path forward for you. So share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I'll go back. to probably when I was nine, 10 years old, and we moved to Florida from New York. And I met a uh, family, and, and they had three boys uh, who were just a little bit older than I was, all of whom had CF. And I knew that as a genetic disease. And fast forward to when I was a freshman in college, and um, in the late winter, I started having GI problems. And I went to uh, a doctor. I was in Philly. I went to a doctor in New York and um, he examined me and he said, you know, maybe you need to eat some more carrots and get off all that junk food. And this was a guy well in his 70s. who was at the tail end of his career. But I think he'd been my grandfather's internist 30 years earlier, but very big reputation. He had been head of GI in one of the major hospitals. Fast forward to that summer, and I kind of ignore it, go back. I'm eating, you know, I'm in Philly. I'm eating Philly cheesesteaks, drinking inordinate amounts of beer. Yeah. And, um, and I, and my parents start doctor shopping, and I wind up <clears throat> at the head of, uh, Mount Sinai, who, uh, controls, uh, along with his wife, I believe at the time, kind of controlled the main organization. And, um, and he, t- he examines me and he says, you have ulcerative colitis. And I'm like, okay. And he said, well, you'll have this problem the rest of your life. There's not a lot we can do except give you some drugs. Basically what he said. Mm. And I said, well, what about my diet? Diet has nothing to do with it. I said, well, I have an infection. He said, no, you don't. And I said, well, yes, I do. And we went back and forth. My parents are in the room. And, and I just sat there and I'm looking at the guy. And behind him on his credenza are all these plaques from drug trials he had done, which you know he's making millions of dollars off of. Uh, and and I finally, you know, he's like, why? He's, he just got, we're going at it, right? And he's just, you know, I'm basically insulting him by questioning his authority. 
And, and I just, and he looks at me, he's like, why, you know, I, and, and I just finally, I'm like, why won't you do this? Why won't you look at this? And he said, cause we have no proof. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of looked, was back at me. What's wrong with, you know, why, why are you so sure? I said, well, because I have high school biology and common sense. <laughs> and, and that was the end of that. We got up. I mean, he was like, basically, good luck to you. I never saw him again. And we got down the hallway and I made my mother walk away because I didn't use expletives in front of my mother. And I said to my dad, that guy's an effing moron. And it wasn't that he wasn't smart. It, it was that it was that, you know, he was looking for scientific proof of everything. Mm-hmm. And so that started an evolution in my thinking over time. And that is I, I haven't been I'm 49 now. I haven't had any real problems since I was 25 and living in Seattle um, and I haven't taken other than some mild anti-inflammatories. I haven't taken anything since then. And that's when I started seeing a naturopath and going a different direction and integrating diet, nutrition and realizing that, you know, a, my body's different. I have certain allergies <clears throat> and like right now I'm my voice a little hoarse because I was, um, eating wheat and, and some dairy, which kills my voice. So I wait a couple of days and it comes back. Um, without a problem. And I learned that sensitivity to my voice, to, to my body. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've had a, an interesting bunch of years in the last six years after seven years after a lot of stress from uh, the stock market. As I was a hedge fund manager, I wound up with you know a health scare um, and it was a misread um, pathology report from a typical screening. And, uh, but I went through two weeks of, of, you know, emotional hell until I found out it was a misread. Um, and, uh, and, and I realized the role of, of stress and everyone has different stress. Everyone has a different background. Uh, and so when we started P5 Health Ventures two years ago, there are three pillars upon which our approach to medicine is based. And one is the, is mind body. One is nutrition and, and for drugs, and it's what, what you put in your body. And it's not that I wouldn't take a drug. It's just I've never found any that really helped me, and I didn't really need them because I haven't had an acute situation. And then there's exercise physiology. And while the name P5 is you know uh, anglicized, Americanized for performance, precision, personalization, et cetera, what it really is underneath it all is an homage to the five elements in Chinese medicine mm. and, and the organs to which they pertain because in, they, they treat the body as a complex biological system where everything is integrated. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we're coming full circle with all the data and all the knowledge and the diagnostics and the ability to, to look at things. And now with the research in genetics, we'll be, we're, we're able to come full circle to come up with a holistic picture of the body. And I don't think that's happening tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It certainly hasn't happened already, um, but it's happening. Um, and, and it will become increasingly standardized such that I think within 20 years, um, we'll see you know, people will go, you'll have a diagnosis. They'll understand your microbiome, they'll understand your genetics. They'll understand your stress. Um, you'll be coached by doctors. Um, and, and I see the way Khan Academy and, 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 the, mm-hmm. and the school systems they've gotten into, they've inverted the day so that the teachers become more like coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will happen in medicine. Um, I think it's already started in psychology 
And I think my, my wife's a psychologist and, and I came back from a conference a year and a half ago and I said, you're going to be a coach within five to seven years. You're not even, you're, you're going to be the one going and looking at the right apps and the right things for people. Mm-hmm. And then as virtual reality gets smaller and easier to administer, because it is administered, it's such a big contraption today. Mm-hmm. Um, you will be able to put people in immersive environments that will help them uh, more than you can in talk therapy. So, and I think that's, you know, there's certain things that will happen faster in the soft sciences, so to speak. And then the hard sciences like cancer, et cetera, will follow. You're talking about reinventing healthcare as we know it today. And you're, you're creating a, a beautiful picture of the future where we patients are empowered or we people are empowered to really manage our own health, to get to know who we are, what's unique about our own body, where, where do we need help? Where are we strong? Where do we need to get supplements? What, what kind of lifestyle do we need to live? And then the doctors really come in, as you said, as coaches, but also if I get an infection, then the doctor comes in and prescribes the appropriate medicine for fighting that infection. But really, it's a, it's a new vision of the future. David, there's a lot of people that don't like that new vision that like, that that would have issues with that future because it takes away what trillions of dollars of spend on prescription pills, on pharmaceutical drugs. <laughs> how well, do you, how can we make this vision a reality? Cause it's the right vision. Well, when you have uh, entrenched players. Yeah. I mean, we'll take a step back. I was with my son uh, yesterday in a small New England town and uh, we were going to get an Uber and my son's 12. And it was a very, like, I thought, crazy question. He said, some to the extent of if, if um, you know, Uber was always around, would there be taxis? And would, would anyone ever call a taxi again? Mm. And he's like, or, and with, basically would the word even, you know, be there? And I said, well, you know, honestly, I don't know why, if it's so cheap and easy, and you know where the cab is, and especially as a parent, if I'm ever going to put my kid in a, in a new, in a, I don't want him in a taxi when I'm in an Uber where I know where it went, et cetera. And I said, no, it wouldn't happen. Healthcare is always going to be last, right? Because while it's easy to say, okay, I should take this antibiotic because I read it online. And even if you know it's the right antibiotic, right, you still want to talk to a doctor because mm-hmm. emotionally you need that. Most people, not absolutely, mm-hmm. and and I think the next generation, thirty and under, are more open-minded to trusting. But there's there's an element to which data, right? You go on Amazon, and my, I have my hedge fund mind on, right? Why would I ever buy a, a Duracell battery again if I could get a battery, you know, uh, either Kirkland or Costco, whatever, that's rated by five thousand people to be four and a half or five stars? That's no name and half the price. Mm-hmm. Right. That level of data will come and already is in some areas is coming to healthcare, And those numbers are and will be overwhelming enough such that the, the last piece or may not be the last piece is. Go, but I put on my legal hat again is going to be what is the proper standard based on the data. And there will be a handful of legal cases that will decide what happens. And then doctors are going to be forced because by sticking to the old, they're going. So right now they stick to the old way of practicing and they're protecting themselves from being sued. Mm -hmm. There's going to come a point 
where if they stay with the old, they will be actually be at risk. And that's when all the major medical institutions will have to go from eight hours of nutrition during the entire four years of medical school into 30, 50, 100 hours or more, where, where hospitals, if they want to treat patients, are going to have to come in and treat them holistically and not outsource it or ignore it. And that's where functional medicine comes in. I think doctors like Mark Hyman have done a great job. They've been out there creating institutes, certifying doctors. I've interviewed quite a few on my own podcast that Stanford grad, Dr. Rachel Abrams, decided pills was not the answers, went to the Functional Medicine Institute, got recertified, and now treats holistically on her own out of Santa Cruz and created a holistic practice that doesn't accept insurance. So we're starting to see that, uh, but it's a very, very small percentage of doctors that and, and, have seen the and light. And what does she cost? But, but what does she that cost? A lot. Right. There, so, so that's the challenge. If, if if you knew of a protocol and a a dynamic, re, um, both proactive and reactive system, where diagnostics are heavily involved, and you can sit there and say, let's say, just as simple as your sed rate and your your C-reactive protein, two common inflammatory markers. You could get that blood test every couple of days or week for five bucks. Mm -hmm. When those things get down to the point or, you know, in five or 10 years, you'll have a graphene patch. And there are other companies that are doing things that can look at your interstitial fluid and monitor both your blood sugar and other things that you can have this constant feedback system where even heart rate variability is heavily tied to food sensitivities. And there are all these things that will happen that you'll know whether you're nudging your body in the right or wrong direction. Right? So those things all have to happen, but mm -hmm. it, it has to be our focus in, in for my, for P5 health ventures is not only to um, help figure out what's wrong, but to democratize it. We are, we require in our companies that they, they are part of a cost solution right? mm -hmm. they're bringing the cost down in the system so that the most number of people can benefit from it. I think you, you're you absolutely right that cost is a huge factor when it comes to consumers evaluating their healthcare options. So as a patient, even if I know that a certain doctor is a far better op option for me to get my health back, but I look at my insurance coverage and I say, well, if I go to this doctor, it's a $25 copay. If I go to this doctor, it's almost an $800 bill within the first time. I'm going to choose the $25 option 90 times out of 100. And that's the challenge we face. So how do we get the functional medicine piece of the equation covered by insurance? And or to your point, that's the whole democratization point is how do we get the doctors that accept the insurance start practicing the way functional medicine doctors practice? Where do you well, see, is I, that a battle coming? Is that a battle we see looming? Well, it can't, it, it, it you know, I so look, I mean, the, you, you have to mix the art of war, et cetera. You can't, you can't declare war on any one thing or you're just, everyone's back goes up against the wall and they fight. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, I see, I see that 
until there are proven protocols, proven ways of approaching disease that have material outcomes that are that are beneficial, doctors won't change. And uh, or the, or they will, but slowly. It takes, I, I believe, about twenty or twenty-five years for mm-hmm. something to change in, in the way medicine is practiced. I'm assuming that will start shrinking, just because of the nature of social media, of of the stories. The anecdotes are getting to be in number in in every disease, so overwhelming, um, and the media coverage. And you know, it started with TED talks and podcasts like this. But the numbers are getting overwhelming. But I've gone to plenty of functional. I mean, I went to my first naturopath in '95, and uh, or '94 even, and um, and I've gone to plenty. And I'm on a new one recently, just kind of overseeing, and they're wildly expensive. And it's thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, I first met Mark Hyman at a at a um, conference in Nantucket uh, four or five years ago. And I was going to go see him, but you know, most of it was just tests that weren't that he was prescribing. It was eight or nine thousand dollars just to say hello. That's right. And you know, it was three hundred and thirty, three hundred and fifty million people in this country, all but a, a million or two can afford it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And or and and or would pay it. So that has to the cost of that has to shrink and is. I mean, it, it's competition. It's Moore's law. It it applies to everything. And so, so that's, that's, that's where I see the biggest thing. But I was talking to the, um, I think he just stepped down as, uh, as head of urology at UPenn, uh, after over 30 years in that role. And, um, I lost my dad to bladder cancer. Uh, well, I started bladder cancer, came back as lung cancer years later. Um, and then, uh, another someone close to me had bladder cancer two years ago, and that was 13 years apart. There's no change. So what now independently, because he wasn't either of their doctors, I was talking to him uh, just a couple of months ago and he said, he said, there's only one thing that's going to help bladder cancer prevention. Hmm. That's it. He doesn't see any hope mm-hmm. um, in any of the, re- and he is at the heart of all the research. Um, I, I have a different view of that, um, of things that can incrementally help, but um you know, I, I, I give you an example of things that can really help, and that's keeping people moving, mm-hmm. getting people to eat healthier. Um, and, uh, you know, I do think there's a huge problem with the food supply mm-hmm. um, because effectively, if you're not eating organic, you're getting antibiotics every day. That's right. And I do think antibiotics have their role. Um, but if you can't clean out people's bodies, um, you're, you know, you're, you're just, I used to use the term, you know, peeing in the wind. Um, it's pretty messy and not particularly fruitful. Um, we know now that it's the microbiome that really creates us as a person. Our health is directly correlated with the health of our microbiome. And if you're taking antibiotics every day, even if it's through the food supply, you're in essence, not giving a chance for your microbiome to develop and to flourish. And that only has one outcome, which is chronic illness. So Exactly. It's unfortunately a very sad equation. I've had this conversation with a lot of people where when I've tried to argue for organic and I've talked about antibiotics, they're like, well, isn't that a good thing? You know, I don't have to go to my doctor and ask for antibiotics anymore. Hey, I get it through my food supply. And it goes back to ignorance, <laughs> right? It's, yeah. um, it, to some extent, uh, there was a very interesting case study that we actually shared on our Healerpedia site yesterday about uh, this gentleman who honestly thought he was eating a really healthy diet 
up until he got really, really sick. And that was the first time that he was forced to really start educating himself on what a healthy diet was and was appalled to know that his, you know, one Big Mac and um, seven layer burrito taco for dinner were really not part of a healthy meal. He thought the fact that he wasn't drinking a lot and eating a ton of fries, that meant he was really healthy. We have an education problem. I think there's a very small percentage of people that really even understand what a truly healthy diet looks like. Well, it's also per person. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and the diet, like, I, you know, what I said before about our three pillars of health and how we look at things, if, if you're not walking, Right. So, so everyone says, Oh, I'm going to walk. What's the big deal? Well, you know, your, your right leg syncs with your left leg, which actually crosses over both sides of the brain. It crosses, it, it relaxes the central nervous system. It, if you walk slowly, it gives you a chance to go into a parasympathetic mode where the body can heal and we're all overstimulated. So the body, if, if, if we're in sympathetic mode all the time, which used to just be a handful of people like me, who I think was genetically right. programmed to be <laughs> sympathetic all the time. Um, you know, but, but now everyone's like that with cell phones, et cetera. We don't have downtime. That's right. Um, so that's one part of it. And then obviously the nutrition, the foods we choose, I see my kids. Um, and, and my, one, one of my sons, these, these twins were over last week. They were sitting all calm and he is, he followed me on Steve Gundry's lectin free diet. So I, I, I think that's one of the most intelligent, uh, approaches and, and screens that I think everyone should do because it's a very, people think it's, you know, it's a lot to handle, but it's actually a very achievable diet mm-hmm. that gives the immune system a chance to calm down and see what's really going on. I think it's actually, you know, I think any diet, anything is at first a test and then it can become a lifestyle if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watched my son who's followed me on it. But it was, I think it was the day before his birthday. He's like, I'm going to go. And they went and they got donuts. Mm. And these three kids went from just being totally relaxed and hanging out, having a nice time, to fighting, bickering, going nuts about a half hour after they ate them. Wow. And it all devolved. And I've seen that same thing, that anecdote in my house with three boys Mm -hmm. a thousand times over the last, you know, 16 years since my first son was born. Um, So there's the nutrition side. There's the exercise Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, again, that all feeds into the mind body, right? You're integrating mm-hmm. all those systems. So, you know, when I look at the companies or the things I'm seeing out there, what, what I, what I like, um, and I'll, I'll pick a company that I only know peripherally. Um, but I follow them from afar that just recently took on a lot of funding is, is Verda, which is in diabetes, which mm-hmm. I, and, you know, they're taking a holistic approach, but there's a lot of data behind it. Um, I, I, I think they have a tough slog in terms of inserting coaches into people's lives. And I think they're very receptive at first, but it becomes, you know, the, 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 the question that they'll have, which I, which we just don't know yet is how long will people stay? Um, if they feel contained. Um, so you, you have to give them multiple outlets. Um, we're looking at helping a company get off the ground and it's based on a lot of research with some big government grants. Um, but, but this is a basic exercise system for the elderly and they have, and it's developed by, um, um, a, a, uh, doctor, um, 
not at one of the primary medical institutions, one of the top ones, but just in his defense, because it's his business. I have to be careful mm-hmm. uh, in what I say, but um, but at, a, at an amazing institution, um, you know, just not Harvard or Stanford, so to speak, by reputation. Um, and he came up with this system for getting the elderly to do simple exercises that improve mobility and strength and do it together. Mm, in a that's room. the key. And what they found was, and they, he started this four years ago, um, and he did it extremely inexpensively, all run by volunteers. And then he just got a much larger grant that he's in the middle of. And the data is staggering on fewer falls, uh, better strength, agility, more mobility, getting out. And therefore, they're, you know, once they have more confidence, they're out walking more, doing more. And, and the biggest key was that the social side of it. Absolutely. They're and, happier. And I, I believe the CEO of Humana six months ago at a conference, he was asked, what's the number one cause of death? And he said, loneliness. That's right. And then I also saw a statistic that, you know, I'm very, I don't know if it's DSM-4 but or, or what the gauge of happiness is, but um, the average age of a quote-unquote happy person, according to this study, in all studies you can rip apart the data, but the study I saw was the average age of a happy person is 93. Oh, interesting. So, um, I, I know over <laughs> the years, I've known people that live well into their 90s, north of 100, and I can't think of anyone that lived that long that wasn't a happy person. That's what the Blue Zones came up with, right? That was that was the big insight out of Blue Zones as well exactly. in their research, that it was really people that were just happy and positive. So talking about startups, David, share, you get to see so many startups as they submit their plans to, as you are out there evaluating companies to fund. Share with our listeners a couple of companies that you're excited about in their quest to help us live longer, healthier, and happier. I mean, one one company we recently invested in um, is a company called Baby Scripts. Um, and I, I, I think the company at some point is a, a is doing very well initially, but B, I think will cover more than just the baby part. So I think at some point they'll have a, a uh, new name, a, 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 a crisis of name, mm-hmm. um, which is a great problem to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but they started with something simple, which was the main issues in in watching a woman uh, a a new mother or, or a a you know a, a pregnant woman is her blood pressure and her weight and those two indicators are and dwarf everything else so you can look at blood pressure you can and you can look at risk of hypertension and its impact on the fetus and then you can look at weight as an indicator for gestational diabetes or for diabetic women who come into pregnancy as already diabetics and um, and so what they've done is they've created an app and the app fully integrates into the doctor's um, medical practice software, Epic or Cerner. And so when you go in and you're first pregnant and you get your uh, appointments, it's automatically uploaded into their app. You can then bring home, depending on whether you're low risk or high risk, you may, you know, a doctor for someone and maybe a second pregnancy, they know there's they're low risk. They may just have them on the app and they may check in and, and report. Um, and once you move up the risk scale, you get a blood pressure cuff uh, and or a scale. Um, mm. And that and 
what they've done in their initial studies was they were able to take the average private pay person. So we have about 4 million births in the U.S. every year and about 160 million worldwide. And of those 4 million in the U.S., 55% are private pay and 45%, almost half, are Medicaid. Hmm. The average number of visits for private pay is 14. The average number of visits for a Medicare patient is three. That's incredible. The difference is and, just stark. And, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it in the, in the Medicaid world is they just don't know. A large part of that population doesn't know that they mm -hmm. should go in and see. And even if the doctor tells them, I don't know if they're not listening, but the averages haven't shifted. So this company has started in the private pay sector, and they are developing a more rigor rigorous protocol with one of the top institutions for high risk. And they're developing with, you know, actually with two institutions and doing the same with uh, the Medicaid to into um, because there's so little money there to uh, automate that as much as possible. So it's a little lower touch, but it's having the same outcome. They have had a slew of Medicaid patients that they've tested and it's gone from three to seven. So you've converged around that seven or eight visits. And by enabling the patient, and I see this, you could take any disease, right? Or any mm -hmm. wellness thing. And if you can take the diagnostics and it could be in your, your phone, your, um, your uh, Apple watch, your, I wear a gar, I wear the, I use the Garmin Phoenix. It tracks my steps. It does, um, and it can do anything that an Apple, um, watch can do. Um, or whether it's Fitbit or whatever devices are out there, you can push all those things out. Um, I've, I've recently looked at a company that has this little device that is about um, uh, two and a half inches long, mm -hmm. very thin, fits right into the chest. You can use an adhesive to your body or put it for a woman in a jog bra. You could, however you want to do it. And it reads heart rate variability. It looks at all the things that an EKG doesn't on top of it. It can look at respiration. It can look at pulse ox. It can look at everything. And it costs them about eight bucks to manufacture. Get, and they think they'll have it down to five bucks in the next year. Just volume. Wow. And, and those, those are the things that will, that continuously like what Baby Scripts is doing. So Baby Scripts is a software platform, right? Ultimately. Mm -hmm. And they're gathering, they have hundreds of thousands of data points now. And, and you can look at patterns and then you can start to infer you, you can look at behavior. You can look at the behavior within a certain geography and, and socioeconomic environments and start working preventively and knowing where you need to give someone a blood pressure cuff and scale day one, even if they don't look, don't appear to be at high risk or someone who, you know, you may think, but you know, they don't need it and you can save money and you can get very intelligent very quickly. And we have another company in our portfolio called Cohero, which is doing the same thing in pulmonology for asthma and COPD. And they have two devices. One is a, um, a, a, a device that, and it fits with all, I think it's seven different forms of, um, uh, medicine dispensers from a simple canister to the Advair circle. Um, and so it measures and reports into your phone and out to the system. The, not, you know, whether you're, whether you're taking your medication and how much you're dispensing. Hmm. 
And then also a mobile spirometer that you breathe into and it tells you lung function. So you don't have to go to a doctor. So think of someone with COPD. and, And if it's someone elderly who's not as mobile, a caretaker has to come get them, bring them to the doctor. That that can take five to seven hours from the time they get picked up to the time they go to the doctor, sit for one, two, three hours, see the doctor, see a nurse, right? Get screened, mm-hmm. see the doctor, you know, wait another half hour, see the doctor, come home. It's a whole day. Now you're talking about 20 or 30 seconds for a device that's dropping like and cause that's dropping like a stone. And so once you do those things, mm-hmm. you can, you know, let's say the person breathes in the spirometer. Right. Right now, you're going to wait to see if they have a problem till they go to a doctor. Right. What if on any given day? Well, you know, the average medical intervention for an asthmatic is over twenty thousand dollars if they have an emergency room visit. If you can anticipate by, oh, you know what? Little 10 year old Johnny is not taking his medication. You, I mean, think as a parent, right? Exactly. The mom doesn't have to say, Johnny, you're not taking, you know, you know are you taking your medication? Johnny says, yes, mom, I'm taking my medication, right? And the mom has, mom has to then be the jerk to call him out on exactly. it. Instead, the system calls him out on it, right? And then, and if not, let him breathe in the spirometer, right? Exactly. And if exactly. he's not checking in, so, and, and what about the, the, you know, as, as I get older, I unfortunately have one of my parents that my mom's in phenomenal shape, but let's say I was in a situation where there's tens of millions of Americans that are dependent on their kids, but they don't live with their kids and their kids worry. And, you know, now they don't have to worry. So whether it's, whether it's post cancer care, whether it's heart, whether it's pulmonology, all those things, these, these types of, for lack of a better term, interventions, things that push the point of care out to the patient. Right. And that help manage the disease for all with real data and real time data. That that is where we're focusing the vast majority of our dollars right now. And how are you seeing consumer adoption of these apps? Because one of the challenges in the previous decades has been that to truly get adoption, you have to go through doctors. It's easier if you can get it as part of a prescription plan or get your doctor who's credible and trusted. What have you seen in terms of consumer adoption trends for these apps? Well, I still think that um, there's a divide. Um, I think for the elderly crowd, um, I say elderly, probably 40, 50 and up. Damn, um, we are elderly, aren't we? Yeah, we're elderly. Um, I, I don't know where the divide is. And I think there's a middle group that, that will be lost uh, for a while. But everything we're looking at right now includes the, the provider. So use that you know loosely for practitioners across the board. because. Ultimately, what I've seen over the years with uh, four or five family members, I'm 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 the anomaly where I'll just do things myself. I'm in the I just started a seven day fast. Um, my wife looks at me like I'm crazy. She would never do it. Um, I'm doing it preventively and curious and um, and for peak health. But mm-hmm. um, but what I see with people generally speaking is you give them advice and the more serious the disease, the more stress they're under, the more stress they're under, the more reassurance that they're doing the right thing they need. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have not only that reassurance, but a constant nudge reminder, they're just not going to do it over time. So I think that, that, you know, there are certain things like a step counter, which helps you 
makes people feel guilty if they don't get their 10,000 steps. That's great. And that's more in the prevention side. But whether it's diabetes, whether it's, you know, it just doesn't work, which is why Verda and others are getting funded because they're coaches mm-hmm. and because people need a coach. And doctors are not going to coach all the time because their practice, the, the, the they, they just can't get paid. Their economic model. Yeah. Yeah. Their business model doesn't support that. So, so I, I think there's a big gap there. We're not looking at anything that is direct to consumer. If, if there's not a practitioner involved mm-hmm. that is reinforcing the need, explaining the need, not just where they read it and the materials they get, but is having that confidence that they're not wasting their time and doing the right thing. That is really critical. Now, baby script's a little different because maternity generally compliance with, with maternity is over 90% across the industry. It's the highest rate of compliance in anywhere in medicine. Wow. But, you know, Cohero is an area where you need it. You, you need the practitioner involved. Now, in the 30 and under, call it, I think that is going to be more consumer driven because they are going to trust the data they see online. Now, you and I, before we were, we were talking earlier, you would, you know, I use the example, which is a very sim- simplistic example. I went to Kirkland Batteries at Costco, you know, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and I very quickly figured out that it basically are Duracell batteries. But now you can go on Amazon, whatever you want, right? and you look at the rating, and you have two, three, five, ten thousand ratings, and you trust it. Mm-hmm. And you know, healthcare will go there, but it'll go there first for the younger people that are used to trusting that across their lives. Right. And, and then there's this kind of gap in the middle. So I, I'm not a big believer in, first of all, I don't, we don't invest in tools. We want things that, are, that manage a process that are involved in relationships. And if you're not involved in relationships, the relationship between the patient and the provider, the patient provider and the payer, the caretaker who may be, you know, a third party. If you're not involved in those relationships and the way people get into routines and habits and live their lives, mm-hmm. then you're, you're just, you're not going to have a long-term bend. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a you know, traditional, I had a hedge fund, but I'm a value investor at heart, which means I feel this need to look two, three, five, even 10 years out and say, is there a short, medium and long-term need for this? If there's no need for this, mm-hmm. then and so, so if it's just another thing that measures my blood pressure, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Right, because there's going to be something that comes along that's going to do a better job. But if it's if it's the way people practice and run their lives, whether it's the doctors and the patients come in and then have to run within that platform, or the way they interact together, et cetera, if you can get in the middle of those relationships, that's where you'll have longevity and things of value. And as an investor in startups, I know that many of them, got, God willing, none of them go out of business, but many of them will be absorbed by other companies. Right. And that, and that those companies will see value in that and need to own those relationships, but they're not going to need to own another blood pressure monitor or heart rate variability monitor. I just don't see the value unless you have this tremendous amount of the one exception would be massive amounts of clinical data with actionable insight attached to it. And so that's another area where, where value may be seen by larger platforms that can integrate it. You know, you talk about partnerships being very critical and you've mentioned how your startups that you funded 
are pursuing that path of go-to-market strategy. But it's not an easy path. I mean, I coach a bunch of different startups in this space, in the health wellness space. And these are founders, are PhDs, graduates from top schools, Stanford, MIT, and yet they have a hard time building those relationships with the entrenched conventional players because of, of course, one, all the rules and regulations, but the other is there's no real incentive for change. So you're almost hunting for that needle in the haystack visionary pioneer in the current conventional system because the rest of them are just, they're just happy practicing what they've been taught and they're very happy doing everything they've been taught day in and day out. For those startup founders that are listening to this podcast going, Hey, I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying to go out and build partnerships, but I'm being stonewalled. What insights or tips can you share? Well, I, I, I will start with the, probably one of the best insights I had, which is from my co-founder is a doctor in South Florida who, um, very involved with a lot of, a lot of major medical institutions. And, um, he was my first adult doctor in 1981. Um, so he's, he's seen it all, but he's, he's, he's a unique, person and his exposure and his power in the medical industry. And he said, if you want to change the way something's done, here's how you do it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm like all ears. And he said, you go to the top two by reputation, the top two practitioners in that field, and you convince them. Hmm. And then and then at least one of them goes to a conference and presents, right? Once they're convinced and they're practicing medicine that way, they then will present it and then it just, and then they all fall like dominoes. Influencer marketing. Got it. And it's the same thing. It's, mm. you know, it, 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 whether, whether, whether we're bacteria that do cell signaling or whether we're humans that signal in all different ways, it, whether you want to call it key opinion leaders, you know, it, it's, it, it all cycles. And there were, you know, I was just in Greece. There were key opinion leaders in ancient Greece, right? Mm. It, it, it always works that way. And you, so, so I would say to them, you, you need to first. So, so one of the problems I see with all the brilliance that comes out of Silicon Valley is, is this thinking that technology will solve everything. Right. And, and it's, and, and if you can mix the extreme brilliance that comes out of there and the problem solving, if, if you can mix that with a higher level of empathy and respect, and I think one of the biggest problems that we see in, in Western medicine's desire to ignore a lot of integrated medicine, et cetera, is that they don't feel, you know, their backs are already against the wall, right? Mm -hmm. They're already overtired, overworked, getting paid less, getting a reimbursed less, and e everything is stressful. And they're being told all the time that they're wrong and they pick up the paper and they're not, they know they're, they, Every doctor knows that nutrition matters, right? Mm -hmm. They they may not be able to point to the proof of it and therefore won't alter their practice, but they all know it. And so so they're under stress. So so you need to have a very high level of empathy. You need to understand I can't I cannot get over how many companies I see that don't get it when you say, What is the path that by which your device will get in or your platform? will get into consumers' hands, right? Because mm. ultimately, even if you're servicing, I'm, and, and you know, I'm not talking about a healthcare payment platform that the patient will never see, mm -hmm. but to some degree, you still are because the ultimate platform, and I'm looking at a company right now that already has all the, all the different pieces integrated, whereby you'll sit in a doctor's office, he'll, the doctor will write a script on his iPad or 
or, you know, Samsung device or whatever tablet, and it will be waiting for you at home when you get home already filled. Um, but outside of that, you, you need to be, you know, um, you need to understand how will I get my product or service into people's hands and run the scenarios. I, it, it, it's amazing to me how many companies come through and they say, Oh, we have this great device and service. We've doing all these trials at all these universities. Look at everything we have. And, you know, well, those trials are funded. All the universe, all the major academic centers are always experimenting and they have a heightened need to do it now. But getting them to commit or getting the large group practices that are affiliated there to commit, you have to figure out how are the doctors going to get paid? Mm-hmm. Because if the doctors don't get paid, that app and the associated devices are not getting installed in that iPhone and handed to the person. And exactly. Exactly. And who's going to pay for the inventory? And if you are doing well, how much inventory are you going to have? I One general piece of advice I have for every startup, which blows me away, is I, I can't think of a single startup that I've had, except maybe baby scripts, where at the bottom of a profit and loss statement, they actually have had or have a line that shows cash balance. Oh, a interesting. Simple, simple balance sheet. And and I was thinking about writing this for my son who started up 3D printing spinners last year and his business is growing. And and I was like, I, I need to write something for for a 15 year old kid that I would give to all you know entrepreneurs. That is a simple thing that every venture investor needs to have. And that is what are you earning? What are your cash needs? And it is really simple. Accounting one away. But you're going to run out of money, <laughs> you know, and, and then you get crammed. So that, that's just a little, little side gift. Um, well, what's, for, for, what's baby scripts model, business model? How are they making some, so much cash that they've actually well, got it as a line item? Um, no, well, I mean, you know, I mean, when I got it, it was how much are they burning, uh, right. initially, right. but they were tracking it. Um, I mean, their model is a, a basic app that helps the doctors manage the patient relationship mm-hmm. uh, and they get paid um, per patient per month. And then they get, they get paid incrementally for, um, for the devices. I mean, it's the same with Cohero. Um, and then, um, you know, they are gathering huge clinical data and insight. And there are other models that can come off of that. I mean, if you've got all these, these practices, you can get involved in patient recruiting for clinical trials. And I'm not just talking about the baby scripts, but, you know, there, when, once you're aggregating bodies and you have trust in a brand and you execute well, there's all these different things you can do. Absolutely. With it. It's that first check that's hard to get, right? Once you've got critical mass and you've got data, it gets so much easier. So let's talk business models for a quick minute. Um, as you rightly said, if at the end of the day we can't figure out how this makes money, for the doctors and for the system that's in place, we're not going to be able to really create this beautiful revolution and this beautiful new vision. So to, to accomplish where the joint, the shared vision we have, we've got to figure out how to help our startups do better, execute better. And a big part of that is earning money. And so the question is, David, where is the money? So for baby scripts, who's actually writing the check? that is then being used to oh, pay well, the doctors. Yeah. So 
So in Babe Scripps' case, it's the doctors that are paying for it because they're in what I would call the equivalent, at least on the private pay, mm-hmm. they're in the equivalent of capitation. That they um in when 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 you go see your doctor and you're in private, you have private pay insurance, the doctor's not getting paid until a month or two after the baby's born. So for call it nine or ten months, at least a month or two post postpartum the doctor is not seeing a penny. So doctors are more than willing to pay. Now they're not charging large amounts of money. Um, and so, so you want to look at closed loop systems. So, uh, corporations that are self-insured, um, where, you know, there's still Aetna or United that are administering these programs, Mm -hmm. but going into group practices, um, going into closed loop systems like Kaiser, uh, I wouldn't recommend the VA. I've gotten a lesson in mm-hmm. uh, sadly dysfunctional the VA is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with, with, with someone who at the head of it is heroically trying to change it, but it, it will take time. Um, and, and you need to go into closed loop systems where they need to save. And that's, that's the start. Once you have the data there, mm. then you can go into the standard private pay, um, you know, insurance, et cetera. Um, and in terms of, uh, exit, if that's, if that's a question of yours or in terms of, yep. um, you know, who, where are you going to get, you know, uh, industry capital and where, or, and or get bought out, um, the deepest pockets right now, especially in the areas where looking at disease management are both the pharmacy benefit managers and the insurance companies, uh, sorry, the pharmaceutical companies. Oh, interesting. Um, it, it, a friend of mine is is um, fairly senior at Pfizer, and I said to him, "You know, where is where is uh, disease management for you guys going forward?" And hmm. he said, "Some to the extent of it's everything. And if if you try to avoid businesses that are going to be pulled before Congress, uh, you know, then you know, pharma's number one." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just in Greece and my son, we went to CrossFit. I'm a big CrossFit guy, uh, never been injured. Um, and, uh, and we went to CrossFit and this was the most incredible gym ever. They had monkey bars galore. Mm-hmm. And my 12 year old's nickname since he's two is monkey. Aww. And he did all these monkey bars until he ripped all the you know, calluses off his hands. Oh God. And, and I wound up in the drugstore and I got, you know, great band-aids. I got, uh, and two different, you know, cleaners, astringents, whatever. And it was six euro for all of it. And I'm like, you know, wow. wait, shouldn't it be 20 or 30 euro? Like, you yeah. know, Johnson, Johnson band-aids are seven, eight bucks for a small box. Yeah. Or, and, and so the fact is that, you know, we all read every day, there's a drug for 20 bucks somewhere else in the world and it's 5,000 here. Yeah. Um, and so the pharmaceutical companies know that they're that their prices are coming down and a lot of them drastically. And so they need to get into disease management and they need to be part of the solution so that they're looked at more empathically mm-hmm. by congressmen because, you know, blunt force uh, lobbying is just, it's not cutting it going forward. Mm-hmm. It just, it just won't. No, I agree for again, those startups that are listening and going, so where's the opportunity there is so much going on. I feel like you could literally pick any area at this point and start working on creating value in that one area, whether you're picking disease management or you're picking a specific disease. 
you would have an opportunity to make a difference and be a long-term sustainable venture just because of the timing of, of where we are. But where do you see the most in exciting opportunities for you and for startups today? Well, I, I mean, again, I just think that if you can be part of improving care and taking cost and stress out of the system, which is pushing the point of care out to the patient, mm -hmm. remote monitoring and having the underlying software to learn and teach providers and payers and at the same time, the actual people and patients uh, how to perform uh, their and do their jobs better. So you're actually solving real needs. You know, what, what the, the, the thing to not do is come up with a great technology and then say, I'm going to force it down the throat of right. this area, mm -hmm. right? You, you need to start with a problem, mm -hmm. right? I, I am highly confident in my case that with a diagnosis of ulcerative colitis that, and, and 25 years of experimenting that and meeting people, like for instance, I have a friend who had MS fully diagnosed, went off gluten, it's gone, right? Mm -hmm. I don't believe for a second that 100% of MS patients that that have gluten issues are going to be fine because it may have not even been gluten, right? It may have taken her grain and carb intake and drop. I've never asked her and dropped it like a stone. And it may have been candida over, which is now one of the hottest areas of That's research right. is just fungus mm -hmm. in general. It, it may have done that. And, and I don't know. So, so anything that can help bring people in, take stress out, right? I looked at a company a year and a half ago, and it's a woman who's on TV all the time and about nutrition, and she's a very pretty woman. She's got a great following, and she wanted to grow the media side, but really get into kind of life planning for women. And I said, well, if you're going to do something like give people every week, every Sunday morning, you're going to release what they're going to feed themselves and their kids for the week because you mm -hmm. focus on mother, young mothers, what they're going to eat for the week, uh, you know, either do a joint venture with Blue Apron or have your shopping list. And here's what you do. And here are all your meals, because what you're doing is not helping them plan so much as taking the stress and the thinking out of it mm -hmm. so that they can go do they can go watch their kid play sports, work all day not be stressed. What am I going to do when I get home? What am I going to feed the kids? I got to think about exactly, exactly. And in anything that takes stress and tension out and helps people do their jobs, whether it's personal or business, do their jobs better. Those are, you know, if, if you can constantly say, am I doing that with what I'm offering? Mm -hmm. Right. I, in, in other words, I could sit there and give you a script, right? But that script won't apply to everyone. So you have to start with an approach. Right. And the approach is, you know, I look at, I mean, I remember looking at a company back in uh, 2006, seven, and it was, um, and it was pure one imports, which was, oh, you know, yeah. which was a retail store. And, and we had a call and I was very negative on the housing market. And I had an analyst working with me. He was a, he was a partner of mine at that point. And, and we started the call because all these smart, really smart investors were in it. And I, and my first question was, 
is your stuff nice to have or need to have? And what percentage, how would you break it down? He said, 70% nice to have. I said, okay, thank you. And I, and I hit the mute. I said to my partner, I said, make it short and sweet and let's finish this call. We're shorting this stock, <laughs> right? Because it wasn't need right. to have. It wasn't right. fulfilling a need. And I knew the housing market was going to go. It was very obvious. Right. And so that's what I think people need to do. Start with, do people need to have it? How can you make it as easy as humanly possible? Now, making it simple doesn't make it easy. So that's, so you have to make it simple to start. And then you have to focus on how, like, Baby script started. They said to get an app onto a phone into people's hands initially took eight steps. Mm. They have it down to two or two or three. Mm. And they're, they're, they're maniacal about simplifying the experience. You have to be. Right? Yeah. Because it's hard enough as it is. Life is yeah. hard for That's everyone, right. especially when we're eating, eating antibiotics and living on devices. Exactly. And stressed all the time. So if, if you can just take that focus, right? Mm -hmm. And then don't settle. I, I remember speaking to a very, very successful uh, investor um, who's had $5 billion exits. And we were talking about a company that I wanted to introduce him to. And he started asking about the people. And I, I forget what I asked, but he said, well, it goes like, he said, in my mind, it goes like this. A 10 hires a 10 hires a 10, but a nine hires an eight hires a seven. Yep. And so you have to be maniacal about the people you surround yourself with, the culture. And again, and I just, I'll come back probably the 15th time I've said this. If you're not solving a problem, then you're, you're part of the problem, so to speak. You have to solve a problem. And if you don't do elegantly, you're creating more problems because awesome. everyone is looking for a reason to dismiss you because people don't like to change their routines. That's right. So you have to be a step function better. Steve Martin used to say, you have to be so good. They can't ignore you. That's right. right. And you have to make their lives easier. You cannot make it more complex or give them more work to do. And I think I see a lot of that in startups that I coach. They, they're an additional to do or an additional task. And I say, no, 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 that'll never work. You need to find the current tasks and take a few of those away. And now you can fit right in because you're going to actually save them, whatever that is, time, money, energy, efficiency, um, peace of mind. But there's got to be some very tangible changes on that to-do list for an app to get added on. I mean, you, we know what the attrition rate looks like these days for those apps. Yeah, it's and that, that's that's ultimately the problem. Can you get an initial bang? Absolutely. Uh, you do enough promotion, enough whatever, yeah. you'll get you'll get going. Yeah. Can you last? Exactly. Are you relevant? Truly relevant? You know, exactly. once the fad is over, exactly. Are you going to be there in three five years? And that's where value is created. Exactly. And we see that even with the big guys, right? We've seen the challenges that even a Fitbit has faced. So uh, I I wouldn't invest in a Fitbit because mm -hmm. it's you know Apple has two hundred seventy billion dollars of cash right. in the ground. That's after they've returned a hundred billion or more. Right. Right. I mean, you know, now don't get me wrong. The big institutions are not the places of innovation. Yeah. The fact that the Fang stocks are are named Fang almost dooms them. Yeah. Um, no matter how brilliant they are, because the world will change. Um, and and I don't know whether that lasts three years, ten years, uh, but it's not lasting twenty. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, you know, in, innovation will come, but these guys, you know. You, 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 they're, they're, they're pretty smart and, and they can pay anything because it's a rounding error. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's, 
I look, I don't think the best stuff's going to come out of Silicon Valley because the price has gotten too high mm-hmm. and there are too many opportunities, just not enough people. Mm-hmm. So, and so where is the, where is the, where's the next billion dollar venture going to come from? And which specific chronic illness do you think it's going to be focused on addressing? Well, I think right now diabetes is number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that, that's the largest opportunity. I think, um, I, I think if you really want to get into startups, uh, a friend of mine, Linda Rotenberg is probably, I don't know if you've ever met her, but she's, mm-hmm. she's the best because she's globally connected. And, um, Reed Hoffman interviewed her and she was asked, you know, I think, I think he asked, like, you know, why aren't you in China? And with Endeavor, which is an organization that helps set up, um, startup cultures and, and helps get big businesses to back small businesses in various countries. And she started in South America you know, cause China doesn't need her. Right? Mm-hmm. So China, China is just going to be a factory. Um, Israel, right. you know, Israel, uh, is, is a factory of, of multi-billion dollar businesses that are growing like crazy. I, I have never ever now I, I don't have as much experience in China, but I mean, the, the ability to create prototype, get to market with, with beautiful interfaces that makes sense. What comes out of Israel from that tiny population mm-hmm. is is staggering, and the valuations are a fraction of the U.S. That's right. Um, and and I think you know you'll you'll increasingly see things out of Europe. Um, and I think you just have to be willing to to look. But I think you know if I were, if I were to pick two areas, mm-hmm. it would be the the main you know the main cities that the obvious cities in China and and Israel. Uh, you know which which. Which I could say pick an area, but the, you drive across the whole country in a few hours. That's so, right. That's right. Um, and and I do think you know I think Boston. I think um, I think the New York City area, you know, has a lot of uh, you know incredible people. Um, and look, you have to go where engineers are. Um, Absolutely. And you have to go where quality of life. And is Silicon Valley's become now. crazy competitive for engineers. It's, it's just it's, tough to it's, build a. I've talked to a lot of companies in that area and everyone wants, you know, everyone, every small guy dreams of leaving. Yes. Right. Yes. So, you know, I think, I think Nashville's huge in healthcare. Yes. Um, I think people are totally missing. I mean, their hospital space there, et cetera, the, the, the access, uh, very, very smart. You know, it's not just country, their music, it's, you know, most big rock and roll guys record there. It's, it's, it's a, it's a dynamic place. And I think Charleston's a big growing area. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of all of the engineers from Boeing and all the supporting uh, companies around there, uh, very creative cultures, um, and and not you know I, I I use this as a you know I use the term generally I don't look for Harvard graduates so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and I say that you know not to knock Harvard because I have tremendous respect, but the sense of entitlement that you see mm-hmm. um, out of graduates from prestigious institutions. And, and the lack of ability to perform in business, they can get a 4.0 or whatever grade inflated 4.5 GPA, depending on what school they're at. Um, but can they deliver in a business? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'll say one other thing in hiring, I actually, cause I, I look for learning in all different areas. Um, I'm a big fan of lacrosse and there's a podcast that was started recently by Paul Rabel, who's a, world-class, probably the, you know, the best midfielder, or one of the best midfielders in lacrosse to ever play. But the reason, the very, the very main reason is that his very first interview, he interviewed Bill Belichick, the head coach of the Patriots. Mm. And 
his his discussion about how he's built the Patriots and and what he what he he has a system clearly and the way he staffs and this is relevant to companies and how you build a company how you staff the way he staffs his positions is who has a knack for that position and that's where I think companies miss when they build a company. Oh, someone has these credentials. They'd be great. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, do they really have a knack? Because Absolutely. ultimately it's not even about time management. It, it, it's about energy management. An when you're building an entity and yeah. it's a natural aptitude. Yeah. Does someone have a, a knack? Yep. You can train someone to do things. Yeah. But if it's draining, yeah. It's it's just it's never and they they're gonna be doing it and they can't wait to be done with exactly. it. Exactly. So one last question we've clearly got a lot of different opportunities out there. And actually we've got a lot of competition out there when you look at funding for health and wellness, tech startups, and you look at the excitement, clearly there's a lot of money going in. There's a lot of founders getting focused on the space. Where do you feel that actually people are not focused enough that there is a, a hidden, a non-competitive space, which really is right for innovation? So, well, I would say the ability to um, track and manage uh, a disease state uh, that creates a very simple interface that enables any doctor uh, to build their own set of protocols on so that they can deliver that to patients in a repeatable format that is a learning system. So there are, there are people trying it. Um, I, I think most of them are reaching too far too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it every, you know, I mean, look, the, the bigger money is in disease management as opposed to wellness. I, I, mm-hmm. I do believe that there's, you know, I, I think people are grossly ignoring uh, in terms of degree of funding, et cetera, or I don't know if it needs to be that much, that much funding, but um, wellness and prevention, um, it, it's getting a lot of attention, but I don't just don't think it's getting the right kind of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in, in terms of if, if you run your life just day to day, you have a series of routines, habits, things you do, things you like to do, and you look for things that make you happy. You look for things that, you know, that, that fill a need. And, and so in a doctor, you know, doctors are human and, and they need something that's going to make their lives easier. There's a lot of people throwing a lot of money at a lot of stuff, but they're, they're not getting into you know, and there's stuff for practice management and scheduling right. and all this stuff. But 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 there's not something that's simplifying and enabling a doctor to look at what they're doing and look at the actual data. Are my patients healthier? Are they happier? Are they function do they have a better, you know, health span, not just lifespan? Are they are they, you know, and is what I'm doing actually making a difference? Because I think unequivocally, it's just human nature in general. If doctors that or and I my my dad had the best doctors in the world and he died right before their eyes. I mean it was just like it, it was just brutal and I could see it. The doctors couldn't, but if they could see it, right? And it doesn't mean they have to see the world through my perspective. They need data. I get it. Scientists, 
brilliant people I respected tremendously. If you can bring that to them in a way that they can help manage their business and their, and, and, and I don't mean the financial side, but the practice of, of how they work with patients, mm-hmm. then, then, then you have like Verda is great, except that Verda ma- takes away the practice of medicine from the, um, from the doctors into their own platform. Mm-hmm. At least that's the way I've read and understood it. Mm-hmm. I said to my own GI about three years ago, I said, your problem is you acutely practice, you, you, you acutely treat a chronic disease when you should be chronically treating an acute disease. I love that. And that is where, you know, if, if you can enable doctors mm-hmm. to better manage their practice, mm-hmm. then they can become part of the ongoing solution because doctors know that they can't just see a patient once every two, three, six months and make a real difference. They know that, but they're, they, they, they don't have enough. You know, if you're a great doctor, everyone wants to see you and everyone's got a friend and you got to do this friend a favor and that you got to squeeze this person. Mm-hmm. In. And, and, and you're at the office till seven o'clock at night, but you got mm-hmm. a family and you want to mm-hmm. see your kids. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, everyone's human. So those, that area, that area of really simplifying and pushing the point of care out to the patients so patients go to the doctor's office. But it's those almost, are all the things that... It's almost a CRM for doctors that doesn't exist, right? This is the one industry that doesn't truly have a CRM system that's smart enough, that's current enough. I mean, I, my own example, I um, spent a good, what, six months beating down the doors of, uh, gosh, 12 plus expert specialists. And what I would get after a lot of these visits uh, was a survey from Sutter Health saying, hey, what do you guys think? What do you like? What do you not like? So there's what's being done is so at the frills, at the edges of what should be done. None of the doctors tracked. Every one of their diagnosis was incorrect, which I then personally went in to the system and replied every single doctor saying, you were wrong. This is what my diagnosis is. I wasn't depressed. I had SIBO. I was not anorexic. I had SIBO or I, you know, they, every doctor had diagnosed but, with me with something which was completely incorrect. And finally, when everything was sorted out, I did take the time to go back, but that never happens, right? Doctors give well, diagnosis, write prescriptions and never follow up. They, they don't look. I, my parents sent me, my, my parents brand shop sent me to 13 doctors. I saw, I went to, when I was in my early, Late teens, early twenties. I went to the Mayo Clinic. I went to Johns Hopkins. Three doctors at Mount Sinai. I think two doctors at Columbia, uh, mm-hmm. University of Pennsylvania, Jefferson, uh, a doc down in Florida. I forget. It was 13 doctors in all. And I kept saying, yeah, this is back. I'm going back to the eighties. This is like 87, 88, 89. And I just gave up and I just refused to see them anymore. And, and I said to every one of them, it's, you know, what about my diet and what antibiotics can I take? And then in 92, 93, when you started hearing about, um, H pylori, Mm. I went to, um, I I was living in Seattle by, uh, 94 and I had the, and that, that was the only and the last really bad, like what I would call crisis in my health. And I went to a general practitioner there and I said, look, two things. One, I've got this chronic sinus problem and I know that, and, and it's in my law, in my chest and everything. It's been two years and I know from my Chinese medicine reading, which was not, you know, extent, not 
too extensive that the that the um, respiratory and digestive system interrelated. And I know mm-hmm. that um, um, and I know that H. pylori is an issue um, for, you know, stomach ulcers. And maybe that's related. And this general practitioner said, OK, I'll experiment with you if you're willing to do it. And he put me on Keflex for my sinuses first. He said, let's do that first. And I woke up the next morning and 85, 90% of my problem was gone wow. within hours. And then, and this is in January of 95. And then, um, and then we did a week of that. And then we went to Biaxin. And I woke one pill of Biaxin, woke up the next morning. And I mean, I was bleeding internally. I was deathly ill. And so now all bleeding stopped with the Keflex the first by, by the next morning. And I don't know if I took one or two pills. And then, um, so I do that for a week. And then, um, I wake up the next morning and it's as if not, I had never been sick a day in my life after one by accident pill. Wow. And then I didn't stay on it long enough, which you now know if you want to kill something off for right. good, I wouldn't have done it for a week. I would have done it for a month, month or two or whatever worked with a, uh, you know, with a, with a uh, tropical disease doc or whatever. And then, you know, you get sick again, you get run down. And then it was this long thing because I didn't want to keep using antibiotics. So the, the fact is 13 doctors argued with me that it wasn't bacterial. Mm. Now we have the microbiome everywhere. Right. But I was arguing that I had a bacterial infection in 87, 8, 89. I'm like, I eat Philly cheesesteaks. Like, I probably got E. coli. That's well, right. now we know one of the strains of E. coli is directly involved in, in, in Crohn's and colitis. So, That's right. Uh, and, you know, depending on the doc, who will admit it, but we're seeing it. So, you know, these were just like commonsensical things. So I, I agree, but this is where doctors need to see. And this is why what you asked me a few minutes ago, doctors need to see reasons to change, reasons why they're failing and they shouldn't continue. And then they will have no choice but to change. Beautifully said. David, thank you so much for taking your time out to share your insights, your thoughts. Wish you the very best with P5 Ventures. You're you're doing amazing things, supporting startups that are out there changing our healthcare system for, for the better. Thank you again. Come see us soon. Will do. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.